0: Listening to the Writerly Bites podcast, where you'll get bite sized tips for making your writing and your writing life better. I'm Blair Hurley, and I'm a novelist and creative writing instructor. You can find more about me at BlairHurley.com and on Twitter at B Hurley. You can follow news about the podcast on Twitter at Writerly Bites. This week's writing tip is if the ending isn't there yet, the story isn't either. I wanted this to be a slightly different format for this week and the next couple of podcast episodes as I talk about a large topic, which is endings. I always find that in the typical writing workshop format, endings are neglected because they're usually not there yet in the first draft, or the second draft, and so classes aren't the most helpful about helping writers find their ending. That's why I teach a class about it, but I wanted to pull out some of my best tips for what makes an ending powerful, and to look at an example in this episode of one of my favorites. So let's talk about endings. The most important thing to remember about those endings that are truly great that make a story suddenly snap together into sharp focus, or that haunt you and seem to resonate like a long musical note long after the book is closed or the story has ended, is that those endings are alive rather than dead. They often mean that they're leaving questions in the air or letting characters continue to live their lives beyond the final words of the story. The quote that I love from Mavis Gallant, a Canadian writer, is The only question worth asking about a story or a poem or a piece of sculpture or a new concert hall is Is it dead or alive? I think that's the question that is particularly pressing when we're trying to shape our story's endings. We're trying to make sure that we're suggesting or creating the impression of life being lived on the page. So that means not tying everything neatly up with a bow or giving in to that temptation to tell the reader uh, every detail of the character's lives after this point, or to reassure them that the story is truly concluded, the kind of they happily live and, and, and they lived happily ever after ending. In fact, what feels more moving as an ending in realistic fiction or in literary fiction is that sense of life continuing on, of a hope perhaps of change, or of a sense of uh, where life might go from here, but not to just neatly end everything and to expect life to neatly shut down there. Even if your story ends with a death, what might happen then is an, an opening up to the consequences of that death for the characters immediately surrounding it. I've identified a number of ending patterns that I think pop up again and again in great short stories and novels where uh, writers seem to rely on existing models of of what works for an ending. And in this episode, I just wanted to highlight one of those that I see popping up again and again in, in short fiction in particular, but in novels too. I'm calling it the pastoral ending, and I'm calling it that because it often involves A sort of turn outward and a a look to nature. So the example that I want to look at is the ending of the great classic James Joyce story, The Dead, from his story collection, Dubliners. This story collection is great and you should absolutely read all of it, but I'm just going to spoil the ending of this hundred-year-old story now uh, and read how it seems to work as, as an ending. So, just to give you a little bit of information, the main character named Gabriel has just learned shortly before this that his wife was in love with a man before she married Gabriel, a young man who loved her very, very dearly, but then died tragically young. And this has been very threatening for Gabriel to try to understand that his wife may have loved another person. And what is up in the air and what is sort of on on the fence here is how Gabriel is going to choose to react to this and whether he feels that he truly loves his wife. So that's what's happened right before we get to the ending of this story. And now I'll read from the very end of the story, The Dead. The air of the room chilled his shoulders. He stretched himself cautiously along under the sheets and lay down beside his wife. One by one, they were all becoming shades "'Better pass boldly into that other world "'in the full glory of some passion "'than fade and wither dismally with age.' "'He thought of how she who lay beside him "'had locked in her heart for so many years "'that image of her lover's eyes "'when he had told her that he did not wish to live. "'Generous tears filled Gabriel's eyes. "'He had never felt like that himself towards any woman, "'but he knew that such a feeling must be love.' The tears gathered more thickly in his eyes, and in the partial darkness he imagined he saw the form of a young man standing under a dripping tree. Other forms were near. His soul had approached that region where dwell the vast hosts of the dead he was conscious of but could not apprehend their wayward and flickering existence his own identity was fading out into a gray impalpable world the solid world itself which these dead had one time reared and lived in was dissolving and dwindling a few light taps upon the pane made him turn to the window it had begun to snow again he watched sleepily the flakes silver and dark falling obliquely against the lamplight The time had come for him to set out on his journey westward. Yes, the newspapers were right. Snow was general all over Ireland. It was falling on every part of the dark central plain, on the treeless hills, falling softly upon the bog of Allen, and farther westward, softly falling into the dark, mutinous Shannon waves. It was falling, too, upon every part of the lonely churchyard on the hill where Michael Fury lay buried. It lay thickly drifted on the crooked crosses and headstones, on the spears of the little gate, on the barren thorns. His soul swooned slowly as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe, and faintly falling like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead. What a powerful ending, and there are just a few things I want us to notice here. One, we see a decision being made. Gabriel's question of how he's going to choose to feel about this knowledge of his wife and the love that she once shared with someone else, it comes to a head when he decides to lie next to his wife and he decides to have the generous thought, the more understanding thought that yes, that must have been love that was shared between those two people long ago. And then it gets very philosophical, but it doesn't end there. I think what makes this ending one of the great endings in fiction is the way that it decides to take the pressure off all those ideas and to turn away towards nature, towards the snow that is falling over all of Ireland, falling equally over the living and the dead, and the beauty of that final image, and the sort of equality of existence that the living and the dead are given in that moment, the thing that they share, the way that they might experience the universe or have snow fall on them equally. So it gives us a kind of feeling of harmony between this living character and the feelings that he has about the long dead people around him that have their uneasy histories. So sometimes the author wants to remind us that the problems of individual people, of families, even of whole communities is small in the grand scheme of things. In time, the long march of human generations, or in nature, where a thousand other dramas are unfolding every day and will continue to unfold, regardless of our small emotional conflicts. The story steps away from the room, the people, the little houses on the street, and looks at the weather or at nature, allowing the characters to perceive that a larger and more pastoral world exists around them. It's a powerful way of suddenly giving your story a larger context, and by showing your characters small part in the movement of nature, it has a funny way of conveying their significance, too. This week's reading recommendation is Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. I just picked up this book from the library because it was uh, so talked about, so excitedly anticipated um, as as another follow-up book from the writer of Station Eleven and The Glass Hotel, Uh, I've read Station Eleven. I haven't read The Glass Hotel, though I'm beginning to learn that this series of books by the writers all exist in the same universe and have stories and minor characters overlapping and sharing with each other, which is a really interesting and ambitious uh, project to embark on. I am missing some pieces since I haven't read The Glass Hotel, but I have read and loved Station Eleven, so I found this one a, a worthy addition to that world. It was... A kind of very tranquil feel, and had great clarity and and depiction of its characters in this very clear-eyed patient, observant, sensitive way. I've got very much invested in the time-traveling sort of mystery that's at the heart of this, and there are some real surprises and twists and turns with a time-traveling investigator or detective type. I would say for those of you looking for a sci-fi mystery to dive into, this one is really fun.